So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast with ben hartley where you get the positive energy you need to help you grow your business your relationships and your mindset if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Six Figure Photography Podcast. I am your host, Ben Hartley. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Listen, the entire purpose of this podcast is to help you grow your business. You are a creative, is my guess, if you're listening. Many of you are photographers. Not all of you are, and I welcome you here to this podcast. If you are creative in any realm, if you are using your your specific skill set, your abilities, even your ability to serve other people, maybe you're a florist, maybe you're a videographer, maybe you are a graphic designer, uh, uh, even like a DJ, like if you are creating something and you are using that talent of yours to build a living, to, to design the life that you want to live, then welcome to the show. Uh, you guys, I'm a, I'm a little sick today. You may hear that in my voice. I got a little extra gravel, a little extra rasp, if you will. Uh, but you know what? The show must go on. The show must go on. All right, podcast listeners, we're going to take a quick pause here in order to give a thank you to the supporters of the SFP podcast, because if you're listening, it likely means that you have a small business or you know someone who does. And if this is you, you are wearing far too many hats. And some of these hats are amazing, right? Like being a photographer, but some like filing taxes, running payroll, not so great. This is where Gusto comes in. This is the solution, you guys. Gusto, G-U-S-T-O, Gusto. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, HR actually easy for small businesses. I used to be on like an old school payroll processor from like 1982 and it was terrible. Gusto now has fast, simple payroll processing. Uh, This is the really cool thing. They automatically pay and file your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Um, They make like like W-2s, sending out 1099s, uh, incredibly easy to run. 
You guys, those old school clunky payroll providers, the one that I was on that I just left, uh, they just weren't built for the way that the small modern business uh, is meant to work, but Gusto is. You guys, no joke. I got really excited because I switched to Gusto before they contacted me uh, to come on as an advertiser. I'm like, this just makes sense. I actually use this thing. Um, The really cool thing, too, is everything is online, like the ability to sign, store, and organize all the employee documents. It's all online. It's all in one place. You guys, let Gusto wear one of your many hats. Uh, It gets better because for you podcast listeners, you get the first three months free when you run your first payroll. Try this demo out for yourself at gusto.com forward slash photo. That's gusto.com, G-U-S-T-O forward slash photo. So today, you guys, this is is kind of fun. Uh, I'm going to go solo today. You know, the great thing about this podcast is I have the opportunity and I view it so much as an opportunity to bring in guests, to bring in other beautiful minds uh, in into like my own existence, to, to pick their brain and then to extend it outward towards you all. But occasionally I'll do a solo episode. Now, earlier in the year, I did a seven part solo series and uh, and it seemed to have gotten some some good response, and so I figured, well, what the heck? Let's do another solo episode. Let's do a little rant here and see what comes of it. And so today, that's what's happening. I'm going to be talking about money today. You guys, uh, this conversation about money is something that I, I have wrestled with, I, I continue to wrestle with, and I think as most uh, creatives do, it's it's like always at the forefront of our mind. I don't have enough money. I've got too much money, and there's a certain degree of guilt. I feel guilty for taking my clients' money. I feel guilty for making money doing what I love. Like the fact that I get to go and and like flex my creative muscles that I get to produce artwork, things that I just really would enjoy doing one way or the other. And then you're going to pay me on top of it. It's, it's a wild thing. It's, it's like, this is a conversation around um, value, like self worth. How do I put a dollar amount on what I am worth? And what happens when someone says, I'm not willing to pay that. How do I internalize that and wrestle with that uh, and, and am able to continue forward? This is a conversation about the starving artist mentality. You know, I was a an oil painter. I, I've mentioned this. My wife, by the way, this, this is a fun fact. My wife edits the podcast. Okay, you guys, beautiful wife, Leslie. Shout out to her. She's probably listening to this, right? At some point in history, she'll be listening to this, editing it. And I hope she doesn't bleep out her name. That'd be really funny if she did. Anyhow, my wife edits the podcast. And so I get these little nuggets from her where, you know, I, I, I don't realize some of the things that I say over and over. And she, we're actually grocery shopping and we're at Kroger. And she, uh, for some reason, and, you know, we're, we're in the rice aisle. And she's like, hey, Ben, I just wanted you to know, you know, you're probably going to be recording another episode this week. You keep saying the same line about you being an oil painter in the like the last four episodes. You should you pull back on that bit. <laughs> I was like, really, I do? Well, hey, I'm doing it again. Anyhow. I'm bringing this up because I, I was an oil painter. That was my degree. I studied oil painting in college. And I remember, 
I remember so this is the conversation all the time in the art building late at night as we're working on oil paintings, this conversation about being a starving artist and how so many of the painters really like played into it. It was like a part of their persona. It was like something that they wore as a badge of honor, as a staple of pride. And the more you leaned into it, the more that you accepted this this type of like martyrdom the more valuable your your kind of work became, the more valuable whatever you produced was because it was somehow this like death to self in the process. And throughout college, I denied that. I denied that vehemently. I don't know if that's a word. <laughs> I feel like it's it's like it's like a part of it's like I probably got like a portion of that word right. Vehemently, whatever you get it. Um, and through, so throughout college, my commitment was that if I was going to produce an, a, a piece, if I was going to produce a work of art for my class, that I was committed to go on and sell it. And I did. I actually paid a good portion of my college while I was in it. Whatever artwork I produced in college, I went on to sell it. And to this day, I only have a few pieces left uh, from college that were essentially – I mean, let's be honest. In college, you're just practicing. I was selling my pieces to practice. I digress. We're talking about money today, you guys. Now, here's the thing I want you guys to understand, right? What I'd like for this episode to be for you is really just an opening to consider other possibilities in which to view money. I'm going to I'm going to give you guys other possibilities. I'm not saying that you must take on these ideas, these possibilities. I'm not saying that they are completely true, that it's the whole story. I'm not saying that I even believe that it's true. I just want to open up some different ideas in which to consider money, in which to consider how you view money, how you view yourself in relationship to money, how you view your work and your value in relationship to money, how you view other people in relationship to money. Okay, so I'm I'm really just want to create a conversation. I want to open up different ideas, different possibilities for you to stand in. All right, so this is not a, a lecture. I am no expert at this. Can I acknowledge that? Uh, really, I'm not. I'm I'm here to just uh, essentially. I'm the guy at the party who's like sitting around a bonfire, like drinking a beer, being like, "Hey, so like, what do you guys think about money?" And then suddenly you start talking about it. that. I want to be the conversation starter in this. I'm not the expert to tell you the way that you must think about it. If you want to go that route, by the way, there's a lot of really great people out there who would consider themselves to be experts. These are people who I've read um, and I, I've taken their ideas and, and, and their beliefs and their knowledge and, and adapted it to my own. But I encourage you to go to the source. So there's a few that I want to encourage you guys even right now at the start of this episode. Uh, so Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. I'll, so the, these first two are going to be a little bit more on the mindset side. It's not that they aren't practical. They, they do get into practical application. But uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, and then as well, Jen Cicero, You Are a Badass at Making Money. Really like both of these books. They're going to get a little high level with you. If you want to get into the the woods, if you want to get really practical with this, uh, Total Money Makeover, Dave Ramsey, he's going to start talking about really practical application for, for handling your money. And then as well, another one, Money Master the Game, Tony Robbins, is another great one. That's a fat book. That's a thick one. Um, but it's a very you know, a very practical application as well. These are some masters, you guys, if you want to get into the and, and start studying stuff. Another one, actually, by the way, I don't have like a, a book of his per se, uh, Jim Rohn. So Jim Rohn was actually Tony Robbins' 
uh, mentor. He was like Tony Robbins. It's like, who coached Tony Robbins? Well, Jim Rohn's did. And so if you want to check out Jim Rohn's, he's passed. Um, uh, but you can do some Googling. You can find some YouTube content from him as well. And he has produced a few books. Uh, but I'd also encourage you to, to, to check out Jim Rohn's. I'm actually going to start with a, a couple ideas that I, I, I gained from Jim Rohn's, right? Because let's, let's talk a little bit about money and how you make it, or maybe how you perceive that you make it. Uh, and I'm going to say things like you, uh, and and take that with a grain of salt. Maybe it's like a, it's a generality, right? And so if you want to hold on to that you as a challenge, uh, as as I'm talking, then do that if that's motivating for you. If you want to filter that you, uh, if it feels a little too harsh, it's more of like a generality. It's like you as in we. It's like we, the collective creatives, we often view money this way, and that's that that you get paid, um, here's the reality. You get paid for bringing value into your market. That is the reality. You get paid for bringing value to the marketplace, all right? Now, this takes time to do. It, it, it's, it's just a fact of life. It takes time to bring value into the marketplace, but do not get this twisted. You don't get paid for the time. You don't get paid hourly, okay? You get paid by the value that you produce within that time. If you want to go hourly, it's fine. You get paid by the value that you produce within that, within that hour, but you're not getting paid by the hour. And the way that you notice, I love what Jim, Jim Rohn says, is you don't get paid by the hour, and you know that this is true, is because sitting at home for an hour will make you nothing. You do not get paid for the hour. All right. And any salary people who get to go to work and then just kind of like burn the clock, let that happen for a year and see how it goes. Right. You don't get paid by the hour. You get paid by the value that you produce within the hour. It's connected to that value that you produce within the time that you are working. And so the question is really this. If you want to make more money, we need to learn how to become more valuable. How do we become more valuable? Like would someone like would someone be willing to pay? Would a company be willing to pay $52 million to an individual? Right? And we could even reverse, let me pull out a little calculator right now. How much is that an hour? Uh, let's see here. I don't know how many hours are in a year. Uh quick Google in how many hours in a year. Stay with me, podcast listeners. Let's see how many hours in a year. All right, I'm doing some math right now. We're going to figure this out by the hour. So there's 8,760 hours in a year. <laughs> and it's not like you're working like all of those, right? So, man, okay, oh, yeah, 40 hours a week. That's a better way to do it. 40 hours a week, 52 weeks in a year. I believe I did that right. 2,080 hours I think is reasonable to be working. Probably if you're a CEO, maybe that's double. So let's go ahead and double. Let's just say 4,000 hours, right? So 52 million, man, I don't even know how to write that in a calculator. It's like, did I do all my zeros right? One, two, three. I think I got to add another zero. One, two, three. One, two. Okay, cool. 52 million divided by 4,000. Let's see how much an hour that is. What? That's nuts. I don't think I did that. <laughs> I don't think I did that right. There's no way that I did that right. 50, hold on. 52 million. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay, yeah. Divided by 4,000. Did I, did I possibly do that right? There's no way. Okay, there we go. $13,000 an hour. 
Would a company be willing to pay you $13,000 an hour? This is the question. And, and the answer is, well, yeah, absolutely they would. If you're able to bring in, like if, you, if, if a company's going to pay you $52 million a year, then what would you have to do? You would have to bring in exponentially more than $52 million. Like, for example, $2 billion. Right. Like this is the CEO of Disney. This is also the CEO of Disney like a while ago. Right. And so like how much is the CEO of Disney worth? How much is he bringing in? Well, if he's able to run a two billion dollar company, then yes, let's pay this guy 52 million. He has figured out a way he's learned to become more valuable. Right. If you aren't very valuable, you don't make much money. Okay, if you're looking at yourself and you're looking at your life right now and you aren't making much money, I'm going to suggest to you that you may not be very valuable. Now, take that with a grain of salt because perhaps it's really the, the reality that you don't understand the value that you have. That's probably far more likely, right? That you haven't come to understand and tap into and believe the value that you have to give. And so you choose low value uh, opportunities you choose low value positions and you're not making much money okay so here's where i want to settle in i want to settle in on this conversation around commodity okay please settle in with me on this why have you ever th- had this thought have you ever considered this why like as so let's go the route of a, a photographer right i'm a photographer everybody listen up i'm a photographer and and i've heard this from other photographers i've even asked it myself why would somebody pay me? Why would somebody pay me more if I'm not doing anything different from anybody else? I'm a photographer too. Everybody else in my season a photographer. I make pretty good work. They make pretty good work. Why would they pay me more? Like why would they pay me more than anybody else? If that is uh, – if that's you, then then you are correct. Why would they pay you more? If you're doing the same thing as another photographer – Yes. Why would they pay you more? You're 100% correct. Why would they pay you any more? It turns out that you have to do something more. You have to do something different. You have to become more valuable. So if you do hold this belief of like, I'm not doing anything different. I'm just a photographer taking pictures just like anybody else taking any other pictures, then you are a commodity and you're accurate. Why would they pay you more? They won't pay you more. Good night. That's the end of the story, okay? That's the end of the story. So who's going to pay you more, okay? You've got, you've, got to, you've got to understand this whole commodity thing, right? There is a difference. There's a difference between the way that commodities price and even the way that commodities view what they do. It's like, like most retail pricing, most, and I say retail pricing is like a commodity-based pricing, right? It's different than something that is like a custom service. It's different than something that has like a value-based pricing structure, right? You guys, if you, if you ever found yourself asking that question that I did, why would anybody else pay me anymore? I'm doing the same thing. Then you are pricing yourself as a commodity, you are pricing yourself just like the way that the retail industry works, right? Like you could just go walk into Walmart and just pluck you off of a shelf, pluck the service that you offer off of a shelf, throw it in your bag and take it home, right? That's the way that you're really considering yourself. Retail pricing does this. When I say commodity pricing, right, what it does is it takes the cost. It takes the input of like the cost of what you're doing. Real quick, I'm just going to make sure I'm still recording. Okay, good. I had this little panic attack. I was like, am I still recording? This is really good stuff. Okay, so, <laughs> so commodity pricing, it takes the cost 
of, of what you're doing, right? And so when I say the cost for you, it's going to be like your hourly time. It's like your hourly rate, which I've already debunked a little bit here, but it's like your hourly rate, $20 an hour, $50 an hour, $100 an hour, right? And then it's going to add the cost of the goods that's going to go into that. Maybe you're going to be delivering um, some prints afterwards. What's the cost of the, those goods? Maybe you're going to have to bring in maybe a second shooter that you're going to pay, right? So it's got the cost of the goods. And then all you're going to do is mark it up a percent, okay? You're going to mark it up a percent. That is commodity-based pricing. It's retail pricing. It's like, hey, it costs this much. Yeah, my time's worth about this much. So let me just go ahead and like mark it up a little bit, all right? That is how you get to become a commodity, right? If you want to be a commodity, do that. If you want to go a different route in regards to uh, how you price, then you need to start getting outside of this whole, I'm a commodity, I'm the same as anybody else, and start considering that you're not. What if you weren't? What if what you did was actually really unique? This is, this is where we get into a, a value-based pricing structure. A value pricing, um, it, it considers this question first. What is the value that I have to bring to this business? What is the value that I have to bring to this individual? And then based off of that assessment, based off of what I'm going to bring to the market, what, based off of the value that I'm going to deliver to them, what am I going to charge? Like what percent am I going to charge of that total value, Right? That, that's like a fair market price. So it actually starts with considering what is the value that I have to bring as an individual? What is the value that I have to bring as a customized service to this person or to this business? And then based off of that understanding, what is an appropriate percent of it that I'm going to charge them? Now, this is interesting. I'm wearing right now the silicone ring. I'm gonna, I, I, I want you guys to understand this. Maybe this story will help because it gets a little tricky. Maybe, especially when you're not like like reading it, when you're just hearing to someone rant about it. I'm wearing the silicone ring, and it's actually a silicone wedding ring. I, I went on this amazing experience out in Yosemite uh, called Apex, and this is um, it was I don't want to call it a retreat. That sounds rather trite. Um, it was like a getaway. It's like a getaway of of men who are um, business owners, who are fathers, who are husbands, who are just looking to be more intentionally better at loving their wives at at fathering their kids and loving their kids and, and loving their employees and, and building a business with intentionality. I digress. Uh, on this retreat, I was actually given this ring. It's a, it's a silicone wedding ring. Now, these, this, this kind of idea really came um, to the marketplace because of people who work like, you know, uh, in construction, um, uh, mechanics, any of this type of stuff that's like manual labor where it's actually unsafe to wear like a, a steel, metal, whatever material, gold wedding ring, any sort of metal wedding ring, right? It's just unsafe. It could catch on something. But these silicone rings are a way to continue to wear your wedding band uh, in those environments, okay? Now, I'm telling you guys this story because as I'm, I'm literally playing with it right now, it's in my hand, and I'm looking at this little piece of rubber. You guys, it's a little rubber, <laughs> it's a little rubber circle. That's all it is. This thing probably costs 10 cents to make, and that may even be like twice as much as it costs, literally. It's like a little, ru it's like a, what, what are those things called? A gasket. It's like a little like rubber gasket is all it is, okay? And yet, this thing was it's priced at like 40 50 bucks it's like what the, how do you possibly get to that as a as a commodity how do you possibly get to that value if you were to consider the cost of it this thing probably cost five cents to make you know maybe maybe 10 cents to make right that's how much it is 
and and now we're going to mark it up a percent and we're going to get to $50. Do you realize what percent markup that would be? So it can't be that. It can't be that this thing is is being priced as a commodity. It's actually being priced. It's being value priced. This is how they get to being able to charge $50 to this because they know that me as an individual, what's the purpose of a wedding ring? The purpose of a wedding ring is to actually have something set apart that reminds me of my commitment, reminds me of the vow that I've taken, reminds me of the love that I have for my spouse, right? And that to me is worth far more than 10 cents. I, I, I want it to be worth. I, this is why we pay so much for these things because I want to actually prove it to myself that this is something that I value. And this is all the silicone wedding ring industry has done is they, they understand that and they understand the value that this little band, this little silicone rubber gasket has to me. It's not just a gasket that's going to seal off a pipe or something. This actually has considerable value to me, the user. And they are using value-based pricing to suggest that this thing, man, a normal wedding ring to individual is worth X amount. Well, this is this. And so, you know, we're going to charge $50 for it. That's how they got to that price. They've priced it based off of the value, not the commodity. Listen, this is a whole conversation. I could continue to rain on this for a while. But I want to switch gears because maybe there's some of you out there that just kind of feel bad. <laughs> they feel bad about taking other people's money. Do you feel bad about taking other people's money? You know, especially, again, for, for doing something you love, right? Like maybe there are negative ties that you have with money. Making more money. Maybe it makes you feel kind of like icky. Like you feel bad for having your client pay you more. And you even want to protect them from it. It's like, no, 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 please. You keep your money. You go buy whatever it is that you want to go buy with your money. I'll be okay. Do anybody feel that way? Can I get an amen if you feel that way ever? Uh, maybe you don't, and hey, please like, keep listening in because I got some more for you. But if that is you, if you ever wrestle with that, you know, I think with photographers, by the way, I think a lot of photographers, if I was to get inside their head, for most of them, this is really getting around the print conversation, right? So maybe they're okay accepting money for the time away from their family out at a shoot, out doing a portrait session, taking a Sunday to go and, and photograph some mini sessions or whatever. So maybe you feel okay with that. But then suddenly this conversation around print comes about, and you're like, well, I already did the work, and now they want to pay me for print when they could go and get it themselves. Not only could they go and get it themselves, but they could just go to Walmart and get a 4 by 6 for $0.10. Cents. And so I feel icky about charging them uh, a higher price than that. Right? If that's usually where this really bubbles up to the surface. Right. And it's usually got deeper veins than that that we could explore, but it usually comes to a head for photographers around this print conversation. Actually, remember there was a couple of mine. Again, I'm a wedding photographer. And so I photographed a wedding uh, in my my wife's uh, town that she grew up in, the small town of Norwalk. I love the town, by the way. No bad on town, but it's a smaller town, right? It's a simple town. I, I, it's great. It's just a small Ohio town. They've got such a charm to them. And, and this couple came in and they sat down with me to view their pictures for the first time. Now, for, for us, uh, when the couple comes in to view their pictures for the first time, they also have an opportunity, a choice, if they would like to purchase artwork, if they want to purchase furniture for their home, canvases, framed prints, if they would like to purchase additional pages in their album, maybe make their album larger, maybe make it like leather bound and, and add some finesse to it, make it something set apart. They have the opportunity to make those decisions when they see their pictures. Now, when the couple walked in, here's what I knew going into this. Uh, I knew 
that the groom was a firefighter. I knew that the bride was a teacher. And I knew that they were from a small town. So in my mind, I had already started telling myself a story about this couple that they were not interested in purchasing printed product for their home, right? That's the story that I already told myself. Then they came in and she walks in holding her tummy and I realize, oh my goodness, they're also expecting. So like, you know, it's only a little while after the wedding and they now are expecting. And so now I'm thinking to myself, like they have a child on the way, they're small town, not a huge like mass income coming in. Um, and I immediately start to feel bad even about suggesting that they purchase artwork, even, even to give them the opportunity to choose. I actually had this feeling well up in me that to even offer the freedom of choice to my couple to purchase artwork, it made me feel bad inside. I'm just being honest, you guys. I looked at them, I was like, oh man, I'm thinking of all these other ways that they're probably going to want to spend their money and I'm wanting to spend their money for them. I'm suddenly like trying to act as their protector. And I, I, I felt bad. You guys, I, I bring this up because a really interesting thing happened. I resisted that desire to spend my client's money for them. Uh, and I just gave them the freedom of choice. I expressed the options and I gave them the choice if they would like to. And this is just such a wake-up call. They ended up investing over $5,000 into artwork for their home. And it was actually the very opposite. So as I – like when I say opposite, what I mean is the what I had made up was that they wouldn't want to spend money because they have a child on the way that they would want to uh, save their money for them, right? Maybe like to get a crib or to get diapers or whatever it was. And the reason that they invested was because it was for their child. Stop spending other people's money. The reason they invested is because they, they, they talked – actually about wanting to create an heirloom, wanting to create an heirloom for their child, for them as they grow up to see like what their love was about, to see what their relationship was about, right? This was something that was actually really important to them. They wanted to create artwork in their home actually as a celebration for their child to see. It was really, it was really astonishing. Anyhow, I, I share this story because I really, I just felt so, I started to feel bad about it. Look, we're going to stay on theme here and keep talking about giving you guys solutions for all the things that are terrible to do. Um, so you guys remember when you started your small business, right? Like it was no small fee. Uh, you're spending uh, late nights, early mornings, the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, uh, ever since then, you've been insanely busy, right? And so one of the biggest challenges uh, is invoicing and it's accounting, right? Let's make things a little bit easier in 2019, our friends at FreshBooks have a solution. FreshBooks, this is invoicing and accounting software designed specifically for you as small business owners. It's simple, it's intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. You can create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds, and then the best part is uh, get them paid two times faster with automated online payments uh, I love that part. I file expenses even quicker. Uh, keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part is this. Like, as your business continues to grow, which it will in 2019, let's be honest, you're going to always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to like figure out or learn all this accounting shenanigans, right? So you guys, 24 million people 
are you using FreshBooks? Try it out for 30 days free. There's no credit card required. There's no catch. Uh, go to freshbooks.com forward slash photography, freshbooks.com forward slash photography, and then enter six figure photography in the section where it asks, how did you hear about FreshBooks, right? Make sure you get that part down. When it asks, how did you hear about FreshBooks, enter six figure photography, you're going to get your first 30 days free. I'm excited for you guys to check out FreshBooks. All right, let's get back to the show. Here's one of the reasons that we often feel bad about spending other people's money. And this example that I'm going to give it, it, it can get muddy, and so I want to stay on target. This is about this conversation about a zero-sum game. Most people believe that if I make money, that you lose money. If I win, then you lose, right? Uh, if, if I'm going to generate revenue for my business, then somebody else is going to lose it. And, and I want to stay specific around that conversation about the ability to produce. My ability to produce, I'm going to suggest does not affect your ability to produce. And the and the the kind of key argument that I was able to hear about this from this guy Vijay was that the the dollar system that we have, it really is just a simplistic way of working out transactions. Like before the dollar system, we worked out transactions through bartering and that's a really complex system to work out transactions. It's your your it's like settlers of Catan. It's like I will trade you my sheep, I will trade you three sheep for your two wheat. And someone says, "Eh, I think wheat's a little bit more valuable this season, and so I actually would like to only give you one wheat. For you. It just gets it gets a little complicated, right? And so the dollar system it just simplifies the whole process. And I want to stay within that uh, kind of analogy as I as I try to convince you guys, <laughs> or maybe it's again. Let me rewind. Maybe it's not try to convince, but just to suggest another way to consider, right? Just a possibility that it, perhaps it's not a zero-sum game, right? Because if you rewind to when it was a bartering system, let's just go back to that. When money was it, when transactions were based off of bartering, right? The person who works uh, twice as hard was it would be able to build himself a house again you, we're just talking about like if you work twice as hard you cut more logs you you pull all this stuff in focusing more specifically on your strengths and then engage in in bartering to get the goods and the services that maybe you're not strong at producing you'll be more effective overall than the person who doesn't trade who doesn't use their strengths who's not engaging with others and spends a lot of time just doing things that he's not skilled at Okay. What I'm just getting at here is, and I get that this gets into a whole conversation, potentially you could take this and run with it, about systematized kind of like the rich get rich and the poor get poor. This is not about that. This is literally about my ability to produce. I'm trying to empower you. right? I'm trying to empower you right now that you have the ability to produce. You have strengths. And bartering is still a thing. You'd have strengths to play into. And when I use my strengths to essentially barter. When I use my abilities to produce, it does not affect your ability to produce. That's the first thing that I want to suggest to you guys today. The next, here's another one that I want to talk about is, um, maybe I should have even started with this. Can I encourage you today that if you feel bad about profiting, if you feel bad about taking your client's money, if you feel bad about charging your clients more, I want to I want to counter that and suggest that profiting 
collecting more money, profiting. When I say profiting, I really like you have creating a business that profits, not just paying yourself, but you pay yourself and then you profit on top of that, meaning your business makes money. So you pay yourself a livable wage and then your business profits. Having a business that is profitable, which the only way to do that is to become more valuable and to charge more money, is the number one thing that not only you do for yourself, not only you do for your family, but it's the number one thing that you can do for your clients. You cannot stay in business without profit. I was just talking to someone the other day. I host this workshop. It's called Abundance Maximizing Joy Meaning Profits, actually. I host this workshop, and I interview people to come out to it because I got to make sure I can help you. Long story short, I'm interviewing this girl, and she's telling me, I just feel so bad. I want to help everybody. And so she's doing 300 portrait sessions a year. She's a stay-at-home mom. She's got uh, uh, two kids at home, right? 300 portrait sessions as a stay-at-home mom. And on top of that is doing 15 weddings. And she's doing them for next to nothing, right? Because she wants to give to her clients. She wants everyone to have the ability to, uh, to have pictures in their home. Amen. Love it. Great. Ultra, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great idea. But in the process, what she's going to end up with is a business that has, has zero pictures to give anybody because she won't be in business. If she keeps doing this, she won't have the ability to give anybody anything. Profit is the number one you can do for your couples because you cannot stay in business without profit. You cannot keep giving people the feels, the joy without profit. Not only that, but with profit comes innovation. You cannot continue to innovate without profit. Please, for the sake of not just yourself, not just your family, but for your couples, create a profitable, sustainable business so you can continue to provide this service for your couples. I'm going to keep going down the line. I've got this list. I have this list of, of conversations around money. I'm just going to keep plucking them off. And so here's another one that you're just so damn smart that, that your buyers are suckers and you're pulling one over that they're kind of, it's like, I feel bad because I feel like I've outsmarted them. I feel like I'm I, like, like I've, like I've uh, gypped them, like they're suckers and I'm clever. And I'm starting to feel a little guilty about that. Anybody else feel that, that sense of like, Ooh, I'm just a really good marketer. I'm just really good at pricing. And I've really pulled one over on my couples. Can I suggest that this is actually ties directly to the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome is that when you experience success in your business, you can't really hold on to it. Like, like um, you can't ac- accept it or feel that, that success because in your mind, it's like you kind of pulled one over on people. Like, like somehow uh, like you're, a, you're a genius and you tricked everybody. But if they really knew, if they really knew, then, uh, then the imposter would be revealed, right? And so I want to suggest that you didn't fool anybody, that you're not a super genius, and that your buyers aren't suckers, that they're not dumb. Okay? Can you, can you acknowledge that fact? Stop considering that you, like, you've outwitted people and that you've pulled one over them and they're dumb. People are smart, especially in 20 – this is a, a day of information. People know what they're doing. They know how to spend their money. Okay? Um, you are not pulling anything over on them. So stop thinking so highly of yourself. The next thing is this. It is I want to describe this as like the separation of tasks, right? And I already mentioned this a little earlier in regards to myself and the story that I shared about the fireman and and the the school teacher who came into my studio with a baby on the way. The separation of tasks is that this is not your choice. 
this is their choice to manage, right? It's not yours. Stop making decisions for what people, for how and what people spend their money on. It's like what they do with their money is their own business, right? Stop making decisions for them. Actually, a great example of this. I went to, uh, there's a little Froyo place around the corner for me, a little frozen yogurt. I've shared this example before, but you know, I bought some frozen yogurt and they had these other things, these like flurry things where you can add in like candy into it and they mix it up into like a, like a flurry. It's like got like all this candy inside mixed in with the ice cream. Well, listen, I just want some frozen yogurt and I saw they had gummy worms in back and I wanted some gummy worms on top. I just wanted a fistful of gummy worms on top of my frozen yogurt and I asked for it. I said, Hey, how much would it be? For me to do that, I, w- I would like to purchase that. Now, the individual behind by, at the cash register, she's, she wouldn't allow me to do it. She's like, you can't do that. I said, why are you trying – why are you spending my – I want – you tell me how much it is. I don't care. Five bucks for a little fistful of gummies, that's fine. I want some gummies on this. And I was furious that, that she wouldn't allow me the choice of how to spend my money. You guys, stop spending other people's money. Okay. Give people the freedom of choice. It's theirs to manage, not yours. I've got another one. This one's going to be a little hard to hear, I think, for some people. And it's going to sound rather uh, presumptuous. But uh, humans are interesting creatures. And, and, I, and we love to spend money. Who out there loves to spend money? Do you love to spend money? Because I want to tell you guys something. If they don't spend their money with you, then they're going to blow it on something else. Now, this is an interesting conversation. I fully believe that if people don't spend their money with me, that they're just going to go blow it on something else. And here's the thing. I know what I'm up to. And I believe in the product that I offer. I believe in the service that I provide. And I know that it offers great benefit for the individual and their family. And so I want you to spend your money with me. I want you to, because if you don't, that money is going to keep replenishing, meaning you're going to keep getting a salary. The bank account is going to go down when you buy groceries. And then magically next month, it's going to reappear and you're going to have more money there. Okay. And then you're going to go blow it on something else. A new iPhone gets released. Oh, suddenly I need a new iPhone. Like you're going to just start blowing your money elsewhere. Oh, it's going to be fall. Let's get some blankets. Let's get some throws. Let's get some new pillows. That's fine. That's great. That's great. Right. But I know that what I offer is more valuable than that. To you, actually. I'm going to suggest that it is. I at least believe it. And so I want you to spend your money on me because if you don't, you're going to go blow it on something else. And I believe in what I'm up to. I know what I am up to. And so I want you to spend it with me. It's a wild one to consider. And if you haven't got to that point, here's another book I want you guys to consider reading. Uh, It's called Sell or Be Sold by Grant Cardone. If you actually don't believe that what you offer to your people is genuinely one of the best things for them, then you may want to get out. Either that or, or really settle in and get clear with that. Okay. Again, I, actually, this is a fun thing. I host this workshop. It's called Abundance, Maximizing Joy and Meaning Profits. I hold a workshop. It is not cheap to come out. It will cost you a wedding, meaning whatever money you make from a wedding, you're going to have to forfeit. It's gonna, it is expensive okay, to come out to this thing. And yet I know how amazing it is. I know how good it is. I've seen this thing go for the last six years. I've seen 90 photographers come through this thing completely mind-blown, world-shifted, business-shifted. It's an entirely business-focused workshop. And I know that whatever people invest into it, that exponential will return on the other end. If it costs a wedding to come into this thing, they will book not only that wedding back, but that wedding will be booked back that they otherwise would not have been able to book. They could not have booked it on their own. 
until they come out to this thing. And they're going to book it at a higher price point. And that's just one of the things that will happen. And so everything else becomes complete bonus. I know how good it is. I've seen the transformation. And so I settle in with people. When people are considering coming and I actually believe that I can help, actually believe that I can make, I can move the needle, I'm not, I, I, like, I, I will accept your money. I want you to spend your money to come to Abundance and not to go to WPPI, to not to go to any other conference because I know how good it is. It's a wild place. When you get to that place in your business, in what you provide for your couples, when you know that it is so beneficial for them, so different than what anybody else is offering, that you can settle in on that, man, that's a really good place to be. Please check out that book, Sell or Be Sold. Um, Okay, um, the next, the, the last one that I'm going to talk about, if you feel bad about making money, um, then I'm going to encourage you to consider this concept about mutual profit. This may be a revolutionary idea. This may kind of really open up a new thing to consider for you, is a concept about mutual profit. I think I first heard about mutual profit, maybe, I think, I think it was Blair Enns. Mutual profit is... The, the ability where it's, you know, so we set a price point for our good, right? Let's, I'm going to make up numbers here. So let's say that we set a price of $1,000. Again, I'm making up money here. Okay, so let's go, let's, I don't know. I'm, kind of, I'm trying to make this easy to, to let's go $100. So we say $100, it's going to cost $100 for, um, for what I offer and maybe for this example, I'll go with like a portrait session, a little mini shoot. Okay, let's just go with that. It's going to cost 100 bucks. Don't jump on me about money and that's too cheap. Whatever it is, for the sake of this conversation, it costs $100. Okay, that's what I'm going to charge, $100. All right. So uh, within that $100, I am going to profit, hopefully, right? Maybe not in this example, but I'm going to hopefully profit. Maybe it's like a 10-minute shoot. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I set that $100 because I'm going to profit something. I want to show you guys that, that, you know, there's this thing of mutual profit where you profit off that $100. But can I suggest that the reason that somebody buys from you, the reason they hand you that $100 is because whatever you're giving them in return, the photographs, the time, the experience, the memories, both the extrinsic and the intrinsic value that you deliver to them is worth more than it. And the goal for you is to create so much more profit um, from the buying end for the client that when they give you that hundred dollars, they receive like 10 X value in return. So, so let's go this, this, let's play this out. So let's say that I'm charging a hundred dollars. A client looks at that and they see, they see, uh, What's on the other side? They see beautiful prints in their home. They see waking up every day. Uh, again, this is a little family mini shoot. They see waking up every day to see it's a family that has like a little girl or something. They see waking up every day to a beautiful photograph in their hallway of, of them, their husband, and their daughter every single day. They, they see their child growing up uh, through middle school, going through high school, graduating high school, always seeing that photograph, seeing herself on the wall, seeing that precious, uh, how much their, their, her parents valued her, right? Like, and so maybe in this example, that's worth something like that intrinsic value, that emotional value is worth something of, of, let's say it's a thousand bucks to the client. So the client is profiting $900. They're paying you a hundred, 
but they're going to profit 900. Meanwhile, you are, are going to profit as well. You're going to profit 90 or whatever it is in this example. What I'm saying is there is something called mutual profit where it's not just you taking from the client. This is not just you taking from people. It's you delivering value. So you profit, yes. The paying client should also be profiting. And if they are not profiting, then it goes right back to you being a commodity. Because rarely do commodities offer profit to the paying client. It's usually a zero-sum game. It's like, it's like hey, I'm going to pay you $10. Yeah, this, this box of cereal. Or uh, let's go box of cereal. I'm going to pay you $3 for this box of cereal. It's probably worth $3. Yeah, it's, it's about $3. Cool, right? The client, me buying the box of cereal, I'm not profiting. I'm like, yeah, it's about worth $3. It's, a, it's equaled out, okay? That's because you're still a commodity. Get outside of the commodity. Again, if you want to be a customized service, if you want to do something beyond the commodity, if you want to actually be, begin to price based off of value, then you have to make yourself more valuable, okay? Get outside of that. I'm going to conclude today's episode uh, ranting just a, a little bit more about this fact that people want to spend money. People want to spend their money. And this is going to tie right back to stop spending other people's money, separate that task, allow them to spend their money, because uh, let's go wedding photography for a hot second. Let's go back to that example. For wedding photographers, they... People want to spend it. They want to validate. They want to prove their intentions, right? It's like like the more that someone spends on this thing, it's like I'm I'm proving to you that that I love you. I'm proving to you that this wedding's worth, that this marriage is worth it. It's like I'm validating what I'm up to. It's like with a family session, I want to I want I want the price that I'm paying for this to express the degree of love that I have for my children. People actually desire to spend money because money can be a reflection a value, a reflection of how much something is worth. This goes right back to the wedding ring. It's like, I want this to be expensive. I want this to be set apart, right? I want this to be something that, that validates my actual internal feeling. Because a lot of times, you guys, people struggle to express their feelings. They struggle to express these internal dialogues, these emotions, these intrinsic values that they have for people, for things, Right? And so one of the ways that they can do it is by externally expressing it. I'm not saying this is healthy, by the way. But one people, is this something that they want to do? They want to externally express it by the, the, what they spend. This is like sometimes this is just raising my hand over here. I did this like for my wife's birthday. Can I express this to you? Like, like I get it. I did it for my wife's birthday. My wife had uh, her 30, uh, let's say 33rd birthday this year. And I went and I got her something at Tiffany's. And I knew it was going to cost a lot. And I actually wanted, like, I, I wanted the value of what I spent to actually show and convey something. Maybe I wrestle with showing and conveying sometimes. I'm not saying that that's perfectly healthy or whatever. I'm just saying that that's how we as, as creatures, <laughs> as like beings, as humans, sometimes we're trying to just get, it's like, man, I just want you to know how much I love you. And just maybe this gesture. Maybe this will help to convey it just a little, okay? And not only that, but, but maybe it'll ele elevate. Maybe it'll elevate the value. It'll make something heirloom. It'll make it sacred. It'll make it set apart, right? Can I suggest that even this, it's like when you go out to eat at a restaurant, like, yeah, people can go print on their own. People can go make prints at, at, um, uh, at Walmart for 10 cents, a little four by six on their own. 
But have you guys ever tried to cook like a really fancy meal? And sometimes it like cooking chicken at home just doesn't taste as good. Can I tell you that when you make a meal of chicken at home, it just doesn't taste good. Sometimes it just feels it just tastes so much better when you go out to a restaurant and somebody serves that that same meal to you when they've prepared it, when they've created that meal. Right. Uh, there's something to be said about that, that that sometimes it's nice when someone else has done something for you and, and people want to spend money on that experience. People want to spend money. like this is why restaurants exist, because, yeah, it's cheaper to cook the chicken at home. But sometimes people want to make something a little bit more valuable, a little bit more sacred, a little bit more set apart. And the same thing is true for print, right? People want something to become an heirloom. They don't just want to be a book that they got on Blurb or on Snapfish or, or any of these things. Yes, they could just go make a book. They could just go make this thing. But they want it set apart. They want it as an heirloom. They want it sacred. And so they're going to pull out their wallet and invest into it in order to infuse it with that, in order to embody it with that, Right? And the last one I want to give you guys is this. If you're doing business right, if you have figured out a way to provide so much value that's differentiated yourself from everybody else, aka you're not a commodity, if you continue to give a, a client experience, if you give, 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 just wildly give to your couples, wildly give beyond their expectation, you shatter their beliefs about what was possible as a creative, as a photographer, right, that they will be looking for an opportunity to pay you back. They will be looking for an opportunity to hand you more money because it's the rule of reciprocation. They just want to figure out a way to pay you back. And sometimes it's nice to give people the opportunity to express uh, how they feel with gifts. It's like, don't deny me the gift of giving. It's something I used to say. You know, it's like you give a gift to someone and they'd be like, no, 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 it's okay. You don't need to do that. I'm like, no, I'm trying to give you this gift. Don't deny me that gift of giving because you've given me so much. Allow me to give this gift to you, please. I'm trying to figure out some way to pay you back for what you've done for me, right? That's what I teach you. That's what I get to at Abundance, anyhow. And the last, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end. I'm wrapping. We're going long here on this whole money, right? There's so much more to talk about in regards to money. But the last one I want to encourage you guys, and I've said this before in the podcast, you know, and I, I gathered this from this amazing other podcaster, Pat Flynn, and and Pat Flynn would say, and I I don't remember the exact words that Pat would say, but I've I've borrowed it in regards to the podcast. I've said is that you know your salary, your income, is in direct correlation to how much value you give your audience. However much you're able to give to people, that's what will be brought back to you, right? So if you make a lot of money, like your income, your salary is in direct correlation to how much you can give others, how much value you deliver. This is how I started the episode, right? That's what it comes down to. It's not hourly. You're not making hourly. You're making money based off of the value that you provide to other people. And instead of looking at it as them, or rather you taking their money, right? You just stealing all their money. It's, a, it's like you're taking everything from the poor and you're becoming more rich. You feel bad about that. Instead of viewing money as you taking from your clients, you taking from other people, I want to instead consider if, value, if, if your income is actually in correlation to how well you serve your people, that every time somebody hands you a dollar, every time somebody chooses out of their own free will to give you their money, that that is a certificate of appreciation for how you've showed up for them. That the way that you showed up for them, that the value that you produced for them has produced gratitude from them. And they're expressing that gratitude with this little certificate that they've handed you. It's called a dollar bill. Okay? You're not 
necessarily just taking money. Unless you are, and that's the case, and you're, then you know who you are. But I think for the majority of us, that's not what we're up to. That is not what we are up to. And that's up for you to decide. My guess it's not what you're up to. Okay, Your income is in correlation to how well you serve your audience. And that audience, they're going to keep pouring out certificates of appreciation for you in order that you create a business that profits. So that way you can continue to develop innovation. You can continue to, to stay in business for them and for their friends and for their families. So that way as they refer you on to other people that you are there to do what you do best. You guys, thanks for hanging out with me today. I really appreciate you. Again, I wanted to, uh, I'm going to say this one more time. Every idea that I express to you, I'm not telling you as fact. I just want to, cons- I want to create an opening for you to consider possibilities. There's other ways to consider this crazy thing that, that it's money, right? Maybe just one of these things stuck for you. I'm not saying that all of these things are true, that all of them have to exist, that it's either all or nothing. Maybe just one of these things opened up a, another way for you to consider what you're doing with your business, how you receive money, how you show up for other people, right? And if that was the case, if just one of these things just opened up your, your mind a little bit, then I did my job. You guys, I really appreciate you guys so much for listening uh, to today's episode. I Listen, I, you know, I, I'm going to go back to this. I mentioned abundance a couple times. This is this workshop that I do at my house. I've never actually like fully plugged it on an episode. And I'm going to go right back to what I expressed earlier that I believe in it. Um, I, uh, you know, once or twice a year, I have 20 photographers come out to my house and I uh, take apart the business and the beliefs that have, that have created the business, that have resulted in the business. And I rebuild them. I rebuild the beliefs and I rebuild very practically the components of the business with, with you. It's really intense. It's like three and a half days. And um, I want to encourage you guys to apply to it, to check it out. Uh, there'll be a wait list, right? So there's a wait list for it. Um, and I'll get a wait list in the show notes, but it's sixfigurephotography.com forward slash abundance. If you're interested in, in, in just curiosity of like what it is, the curiosity of what it would look like to come out, um, go and get on that wait list. All right. You guys, thank you so much. I appreciate you like you wouldn't imagine. And I'll see you in the next episode of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Bye, everybody.